0: All right, let's go ahead and get started. There's uh, copies of uh, Psalm 36 on some of the tables. If anyone needs one, there's some extras over here. Oh, you got it? Yeah, it'd be great, yes. (laughs) I've I've got 911 on my cell phone for you when you fall. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, everybody got a copy? I'll put some over here. Let's go ahead and pray. We give you thanks, Lord God. What a beautiful week! Thank you so much for the rain, for the quantity of rain that we didn't wash away, but thank you, Lord, that uh, it was instrumental in helping to relieve some of the stress on our water sources. Thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, for your holding us. We pray for all of our friends that are in Florida right now, for Kim and Neil as they celebrate uh, a new daughter-in-law and. And this new wedding, uh, this new marriage, and we pray for Luke and Kara, that you would bless them in their years ahead together, that they would grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, together. We pray for safe travels back for all of them. Lord, bless us as we jump into Psalm 36 and guide us, and may our hearts be strengthened and our faith fortified. um, In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're at Psalm 36. Everybody turn to Psalm 36, and I'm going to read that. It's a short psalm. There's uh, extra copies right there. It's a short psalm, so I'll make sure to add time. To the choir master of David, the servant of Yahweh. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. For... He flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out or, and hated. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and do good. He plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. Your steadfast love, O Yahweh, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds, your righteousness to the is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Yahweh. How precious is your steadfast love, O God! The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights, for with you is the fountain of life, and your light do we see light. O continue your steadfast love to those who know you, and your righteousness to the upright of heart. Let not the foot of arrogance come upon me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. There the evildoers lie fallen. They are thrust down, unable to rise. So as I was reading the psalm, did you see anything, any repeats, anything that maybe connected this for you to other places in the psalms, maybe closer by, any of that? There's no... uh, no bones here, Steve. Sorry, Steve. No bones. He was looking for a bone to pick with me there. Ha, ha, ha. It's great. Huh? It doesn't say, does it? There's no indication. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I just got down in my devotion reading, reading the end of Samuel a couple of days ago, and uh, all of that, um, the, once David is restored to uh, all of Israel again as king, then there's another revolt that happens, you know, and Shimei or whatever his name was, leads this revolt, uh, and that lasts very shortly, but still, yeah, who knows, right? So it, there's not any indication as to what time frame. Okay, but what, else, what did you see in it? Anything that was uh, patterns or anything? Yes, Janelle. Yeah, the evil's still plotting. We've run across that before. They do a lot of plotting and scheming. Nope, it's not an acrostic. Nope. Very good, though. That's a good, it's always a good question. The problem is that you can't see it in English. You know, you'd have to almost read a commentary or no Hebrew, so yeah. So if it's not an acrostic, but that's a good question to ask. I'm sorry, steadfast love, it's like used three times in the psalm, right? And so, God's steadfast love. And so you you get the sense, oh, the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. You know, as one of the psalms puts it. What else? Anybody else? Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. So the contrast is between the bad guys and the Lord, not between the bad guys and David, right? It's between the bad guys and the Lord. That's a good... Uh, pattern to pick up there. Good. Well, great. So I'm calling the, this two ways because there are two ways listed here, and that pattern of two ways is an uh, ancient pattern in the church. Uh, um, uh, anyways, there's two ways to live. So but there's two pa- two ways in this psalm. So first off, you have the ways of the wicked, verses one through four. And then the ways of Yahweh, verses 5 through 9. And then the last few verses, last three verses, you have words to Yahweh. Or you could say words having words with Yahweh. Okay, And that's the, the last part of the psalm. So let's move here. The ways of the wicked. So notice the first verse, to use legal language, the first verse actually gives an indictment. And then verse 2, 3, and 4 actually lays out the evidence. I don't know why, but that worked for me. Right, so here's the charge, the indictment, but then verse two, three, and four lay out the case. Here's how I know that verse one is true. This is how they this is their pattern. Okay? Everybody see that there? And here's the indictment. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. We're gonna to come to that in a minute. There is no fear of God before his eyes. Well, how do you know? For he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and do good. He plots trouble on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. So it's like, here's the indictment, verse 1, and then verse 2, 3, and 4. Here's the here's the evidence, if you want to put it that way. So what is transgression? Let's talk about transgression for a minute. So notice the very first word in the English is transgression speaks to the wicked. Okay, so what is transgression? Don't look up here. Don't look at this. Anybody know what transgression is? We have several words that we use for sin. Yes. You're on the move. Okay. Okay. That had nothing to do with the class. Now, if we've been talking about trespass, that might have actually worked, you know, on the move, crossing the boundaries, right? What is transgression? It is a disobedience. Yep, yep, it's a disobedience to the law of God, okay? It's interesting, as you take those words and you start thinking about what's the difference, what's the little nuance difference in each one of those words? Transgression, trespass, iniquity, sin... Right, And so transgression, the Hebrew word is pasha, and it means rebellion. So it it can be translated as rebellion or transgression. Here's how it is just on the online dictionary. I just typed in transgression, which this fits the Hebrew. An act that goes against a law, a rule, or a code of conduct. And thus it's an offense. And so it's rebellion. So notice that... um, it's pushing against what God has said. So notice the very first word in our English, transgression, rebelliousness, speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. Okay? Hope that helps somebody. So transgression, notice it says, what does transgression do? Look at your, look at your verse. What does transgression do? Yeah, it speaks. Speaks where? To what? To the wicked. Where? deep in his heart, okay? Very interesting, that Hebrew word for speaks is naum, which is often translated in other places in the Old Testament as declares, it's an oracle, okay? It's 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 a law, so transgression becomes the law for the wicked. Rebellion becomes the law for the wicked. It speaks like law for the wicked, all right? And so, uh, there's, no, there's, there's an authoritative color to that word. Transgression speaks with power or authority or law to the wicked. Have you ever run across someone who just seems, I am not cussing, hell-bent on doing evil? And you go, where's their sense? That's the idea, Right? And so it becomes the law for them, transgression. So here's how Derek Kidner in his commentary puts it. Quote, the opening words, literally, an oracle of transgression, make a startling heading to the portrait of this dedicated sinner. It, it, it is, sorry, it is as though transgression itself were his God or prophet." Transgression speaks, declares to the wicked deep in his heart. Okay? That's a pretty strong statement. Can you think of examples without naming names? Can you think of examples maybe? In your experience where it just seemed like transgression spoke to them and it was like the alternative to the Word of God. okay sure yep it's very interesting Jesus says in John 8 he says you know you are of your father the devil As he's talking to the religious elites because he was a liar and a murderer from the beginning and that's exactly your habit right so there's a connection there yeah okay I saw a hand somewhere yeah I mean yeah it's, uh, our society has a problem right so we are calling we're often calling good evil and evil good now yeah. yes mhm sure yep that's what i was saying that verse 1 is like the indictment here's the charge the accusation of the court books and then verse 2, 3, and 4. Here's the evidence that shows that verse 1 is right. Okay? I mean, I mean, think about it. Adam and Eve, right? In the garden. That's an easy one. So that transgression begins to become the new law. Has God really said? Doesn't it look great? Don't you think? I mean, God doesn't want... And she reaches over and grabs it. I mean, it's exactly what happens. And in some ways, we find that at work in our own hearts. Okay? So thank God that in Jesus, the power of sin has been broken, the penalty of sin has been taken, the pride of sin has been humbled, but the presence of sin still reigns. And as Paul says in Romans 7, there are days when you don't know why you chose to do what you did because you knew better. Right? You remember Roman, Anybody remember Romans 7? Right? Okay. So there. I think that's really helpful. And so it's interesting, in Jeremiah, if you read Jeremiah, you'll notice something very similar. In Jeremiah, the people are pictured as, quote, walking in the stubbornness of their own heart a number of times, and then comes Jeremiah 7, verse 23 and 24. But this command I gave them, obey my voice, this is the Lord speaking, obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people, and walk in all the way that I command you, that it may be well with you, but, they did not obey or incline their ear, but walked in their own counsels and the stubbornness of their evil hearts and went backward and not forward. And Jeremiah 7 is an illustration of verse 1, right? And I'm not going to listen to God, I'm going to listen to my own counsels. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. I'm going to follow my own counsel. Can you think of an Old Testament example where a young king decides not to listen to wise counsel but listens to counsel that agrees with him so that he goes on and does what he wants to do? Yeah, Rehoboam, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah, judges, yeah. yeah. There was no king in Israel, so they, everybody did what was right in his own eyes, yeah. So wicked speaks... To the wicked, deep in his heart. So we already talked about this. Where does rebellion grab a wicked person? You already mentioned it. You can say it again. In his heart, deep in his heart, right? And if the heart is the seat of affection as well as emotion, I mean, it's kind of the power center of our volition, our choosing to do things. I mean, that makes sense. Wickedness or transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. Um, James K. Smith has a book that he has a title on it that he stole from Augustine. You are what you love. What a great statement. That really summarizes much of Augustine. But that's the same thing. You are what you love. What do you love? Verse 1, I love transgression. And that speaks volumes to me, is is what you see going on in verse 1. So what is completely missing from a wicked person's life direction? Look back at verse 1. What's completely missing from a wicked person's life direction? The fear of God. Right? When I fence the table, and I talk about, you know, you belong to a Bible-believing, Christ-loving, God-fearing church. I don't just say that to throw words out. Right? Is do, Are you part of a church that the life direction is the reverence and awe of God and submission to God? right? And so that becomes impersonal. Are you a Bible-believing, God-fearing, Christ-loving person? That's what you want to be, right? And so it helps then that you're part of a church that's that way as well. But the fear of God is missing in his, this person's life direction. So think about Proverbs 1, verse 7 um, where Solomon writes that um, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Isn't that interesting? Fools despise. And that comes out all the way through Proverbs. Fools despise it. Because they don't want to go that way. They don't want to be corrected. They want to do their own thing. Okay? So then from verse 2 through verse 4, David gives the evidence for his indictment. So list the various exhibits. Exhibit A and exhibit B. I'm hoping Kelly will appreciate that So, I throw in some court scenes. (laughs) So what are some of the exhibits here in verse 2 through 4? You already started talking about some of them. Yeah, he flatters himself. He flatters himself so much before his own eyes. What? Who said flatters himself? I heard somebody over here. So he flatters himself in his own eyes so much, what? What's the rest of that verse say? Yeah, he cannot be exposed, or he probably could, but you can't expose him to himself because he will not see it, right? So he's, covered, he's so full of it that he just can't see it. Right? That's interesting. What else? What are some more, what's some other evidence? Yeah, the words are trouble and deceit. What else? What does he cease to do? Yeah, both to act wisely, positive, and do good, positive, right? So he's refused to do what's good and, and wise. What else does he do? Somebody else sort of brought this, I think Scott brought it up. He plots trouble while he's on his bed. He can't even go to sleep at night while he's sleeping or while he's laying on his bed. He's scheming, right? He's plant making plans. Alright? What else? What are some other traits here? Yeah, he doesn't reject evil, and what's the one before that? Yeah, he he there's a there's an intentionality. He puts himself in this way that is not good. I mean, he steps in there. There's no accident. This is an intentional move on his part, right? So there's some. Yes, absolutely. Exactly. So when we do our confession of sin, sometimes you hear that. We've we've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. That's a very biblical structure. Okay? Well, that's the point of verse 2. He flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out. No, he would not acknowledge any of it. Right. Yes. Yeah, pride. That's what Augustine said. The the, the, the original sin was actually pride, and he makes a great case for it, and that goes right along with this. Yes. Yes, hold that thought, because I'm going to bring those two words up later. Good job, Fred. Woo! Awesome. All right, so regarding the first part of verse 4, Notice when it talks about, um, he plots trouble on, while on his bed. Here's what, uh, the Reformation, I just pulled this out of the Reformation Study Bible. I thought it was really pretty helpful. Wickedness is a full-time occupation for the wicked. Even at night, when they should be praying before sleep, wicked people plot and scheme. I that was, that's a great two sentences. Boom! Right? Thank you. So how rigid is this person in not doing good? Yeah, he set himself. And that's interesting language in the Hebrew because it's actually, he stands his ground. Right? He puts himself there and he will not budge. He stands his ground in doing this, what he's going to do, right? I mean, there is a real personal determination to what he's about. Ah, and here we go, Fred. Omission and commission. So, what does anybody know? What is o what is the sin of omission? Not doing something you should. You omit it. Okay. What is commission? Doing something you shouldn't do. So, if you look through these verses, which ones are omission? Which ones are commission? Not fearing God, right? Not being wise or or doing what's good, right? So there's omission. Any commission here? Yes, very good, Ben. Good job. Who over here had, I heard somebody over here. Plotting, yeah. Okay, very good. And so I love the, the way the children's first catechism puts it very simply and very helpfully. Alright, so this is echoing the shorter catechism here. What is sin? Sin is any lack of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. There's omission and commission. And so without using the words omission and commission, it explains it in that way. What is meant by lack of conformity? Not being or doing what God requires. That's omission. Omitting, right? Not being or doing what God requires. Commission. What is meant by transgression? Doing what God forbids. You take that little structure right there from the Children's First Catechism and you go and you look at yourself, you examine yourself, and you realize no matter how good you feel about yourself, ah, right? There's some omission in there, there's some commission, right? But then that's how that works out in the psalm. You have both, in verses 1 through 4, you have both of those there. Here's how you know that transgression is speaking deep in his heart because he refuses to do what god says and chooses to do go against god right and what he does So any questions about um, verses 1 through 4 or any statements the ways of the wicked Yes Yeah yeah so the question is It says he ceased to act wisely and do good. Does that mean that one time he did? Very likely, that's the point is that it's some, I mean, everybody, we all know what's right to a certain extent, right? The law of God is written on our hearts. We do know. So maybe this is a fellow who has become apostate, or these are those who have become apostate. Very likely, David is probably talking about people in the church because that's most of the people he dealt with, people inside the covenant community. Right? That's mostly who he dealt with. And so very very much that would be the case. Good question. Yeah, that's what she was just talking about. Yeah. The ceasing part. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. Yes. 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 It's just like a a hungry beast and you're feeding it and it just gets bigger. It's like an alligator, right? The more you feed an alligator, the bigger it gets, you know. Same thing with this. All right, so then the ways of Yahweh. And this is a bit of a surprise that you have the ways of the wicked and you would think David would then, because he, he has done this before in previous psalms when he says, look, I didn't do anything wrong in this area, vindicate me. So you expect that. But instead, David doesn't focus on himself. He's he really is concerned most about the Lord. Okay, and so look at the ways of Yahweh in verses five through nine. I want you to notice that right at the very beginning in the Hebrew. I know you can't read Hebrew, but in the Hebrew, the Lord or Yahweh is actually the first word in verse five, thus making the Lord the primary. I mean, primary in this whole section. Yahweh your steadfast love extends to the heavens your faithfulness to the clouds your righteousness mountains of God your judgments the great deep man and beast you save O Yahweh and so God's personal name begins and ends this paragraph telling you this is really all David is not schmoozing right and he's not deceiving he's this is all about the Lord himself it begins in the Hebrew it begins and ends that paragraph and so there are specific four specific uh, character traits and one example. What are the character traits of the Lord? There's four of them: steadfast love of Yahweh, faithfulness, righteousness, judgment, or justice. Yeah, right. Okay, very good. So, um, so what's the example? It's just a broad category. But what's the example? Huh? Yeah. Well, well, there's that. All the way through, it yeah, uses nature as an illustration, but there's an example. It's the very last statement. Man and beast, you say. Right? Okay? So, notice I, I, I did it as I read it this time, so hopefully you'll caught it, but the words is like or are like, um, when it says... Uh, Your righteousness is like and your judgments are like. The words is like and are like are actually provided by your translators, but they're not in the Hebrew, which makes the read actually snap. Your righteousness, the mountains of God, your judgments, the great deeps, man and beast, you say. It's really interesting, as you read that in the Hebrew, just how that just pop, pop, oh wow, I mean it makes you stop because it... There's a rhythm and then the rhythm changes just a little bit there. I'll get there. I'll get there. Good. So what catches you by surprise in verses 5 through 6? Anything? Yeah. Isn't that interesting? So now we're getting there. The saving of beasts. Man and beast you save. Ah, Very good. I was going to ask for some illustrations. When God saves Noah, He doesn't save Noah and His family alone, who else does He save? Animals, right? Man and beast you save, right? Well, He created humankind and animals, so of course He would save man and beast. Okay, and so very, very interesting. Um, can you think of another story? I have one of mine that you're probably not even going to think of, but it's really intriguing. Any other stories, anything else that strikes you with man and beast? Oh, yeah, yeah. So saving an animal that fell into a pit, your neighbor's animal. animals, how you show love to your neighbor and so forth. You bring them out of the pit, right? Jesus mentioned that as well. Yeah, yeah, all that picture from Isaiah 2 and Micah 4 and all that, that the uh, child can play over the adder's hole and the uh, leopard and lions will lie down with the lamb and all that, those illustrative, give you that sense. And then Romans 8, when you get to Romans 8, it actually tells you, it doesn't use the word animals, but it says Jesus, that God is saving creation, that when we finally enter into the resurrection, all creation will be saved. That would include man and Beast. My favorite story is Balaam. Who was saved in that story? Even one of them who was not wanting really to be saved. But who was saved in that story? Huh? Yeah, the donkey. Right? He the angel of the Lord kept Balaam from killing the donkey, who was actually trying to save his life. Right? And so then the beast, the donkey and Balaam, grudgingly, both were saved man and beast you say okay yes yeah well that's what uh, ada was talking about yes absolutely so this is a funny aside when i was a poli- I think i've told you this before when i was a police chaplain in midland there was a police dog and police dogs are police officers you shoot a police dog you've shot a police officer i mean it's pretty serious business Well, this one, I think his name was Roscoe. Roscoe had been a border dog and had lost his canine, this one canine right here, when he attacked a tire that ended up being filled with cocaine and exploded, took his canine out. So they gave him a titanium canine. Woo! Don't ever run from that dog, right? Well, Roscoe died. Uh, He'd he'd been... uh, through happenstance it ended up in New Mexico at the police department uh, police in New Mexico and he died he just kind of you know he'd served his time and he finally died and so they wanted to have a, do- a, mili- a, a police dog funeral and they called all the chaplains and all the other police departments and they all said oh I've never done one of those I don't feel comfortable doing that so they called our police department and the Sarge the old Sarge that was over us, says uh, uh, and I was the director of chaplains he says do you have anybody that would maybe be willing to do a police dog's funeral Oh, shoot fire. I'll do it. (laughs) Give it to Mikey. Mikey will do anything. So it was great because, you know, whether Roscoe, whether we'll see Roscoe or not again, I don't know. There's a lot of question marks, right? But I wouldn't be surprised, right? So I had no problem doing that funeral. I got to bring in the gospel, and I did it with Romans 8 that all creation is saved in Jesus in the end, right? And so when we do funerals for our animals that we love very dearly, you know, we I bring up Romans eight and just simply remind ourselves that that this is, you know, they're part of God's good creation. God loves them as you know, great man and beast. You say, okay, sorry, that was a little that was that was free. That's not in the script anywhere. Yes. 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 It's good. So how often is steadfast love used in Psalm 36? And how about righteousness? Okay, steadfast love. How often is it used? I see three. Good job. How about righteousness? Yep, very good, Ada. Two. Two. Twice. Your righteousness twice. Okay. So those are pretty central pieces to this psalm. So notice that there are three benefits of being in, in Yahweh's steadfast love. There are three benefits. You look down at verse um seven, eight, and nine. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge under the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house and you give them drink from the river of your delights for with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. You could actually maybe make that six six benefits. But there you see three, I just think about chunks sometimes. So there's three chunks of benefits being inside of God's steadfast love. What would they be? Yeah, refuge and safety just like a baby chick under his mama mama hen's wings, right? Or... Or an eagle in her eerie with her little chicks, her little, whatever you call baby eagles. Baby eagle, thank you. Do what? Somebody else, what's another benefit? Food and drink. Anybody happen to think of something that happens every Sunday, maybe at Heritage, when you hear those verses by any chance? I hope you think about those today when we take Communion. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from the river of your delights. We're going to talk more about those verses in a minute. Okay, what other benefits? What's the other one? Yeah, yeah, fountain of life and light. Okay, very good. So where else have you heard the ideas of verse 8 and 9? Feasting on the abundance of the Lord's house. uh, Drinking from the river of life and, and light and all those things. In communion, Jesus. Who said Jesus? You get a gold star. Yes, our Lord Jesus. Okay. So think about John six verse thirty-five as Jesus begins that whole section about I am the bread that comes down from heaven. Whoever eats my flesh will not, and whoever drinks my blood will not hunger or thirst. Right, and then he equates that with believing and confidence in God, and that He's the one who sustains us all the way through John six verse 35 all the way down to about verse 50, I think it's like 56 or something like that, right? You cannot miss it. As you look at those two verses, your mind should immediately run, oh, yeah, of course we feast sumptuously. We feast on Christ, right? Yes. Yes. Fully satisfied. Yeah. And so then Jesus talks about in John 7, verses 37 through 39, He talks about being the river of life. And whoever comes and drinks from Him, He will swell up in them and it's about the Holy Spirit and so forth. You can't miss that either. And those of you who are doing the study in Revelation, Revelation 21, verse 6, anybody remember what that's about? What flows from the throne of God? Yeah, the river of life. And then on, on there's the tree of life whose fruit, you know, and he, leaves and all that stuff. Right, you just can't miss it. There's all kinds of gospel aspects to those two verses and as David is looking forward he's looking at the Lord of course that would make sense so hopefully you'll remember those two verses during communion today so any questions then on verses um, verses 5 through 9 the ways of Yahweh it reminds you of the 23rd Psalm the Lord is our shepherd he feeds us protects us even if we walk through the valley of the shadow of death Right, and his hound dogs Goodness and mercy are pursuing us all of our days. And yes, very good. I love Psalm 23. All right. So words to Yahweh, or you could say words with Yahweh, having words with Yahweh, something like that. But we mean this in a positive way. To summarize the three parts in these words to Yahweh, summarize them. It's the last three verses. How would you summarize them? Yep. Okay, I mean, that's basically it in a nutshell, okay? It is a plea. Yeah, it's a quite a, so. Who's he talking to? The God he just mentioned whose steadfast love, you know, and his righteousness and his, and his goodness and his justice, right? All, this is who he's talking to, okay? Uh, Derek Kidner, again, in his commentary, the psalmist finds himself stationed on the disputed ground between human wickedness and divine grace. The dispute, by the way, is not, with, is not God's dispute. It's our dispute. Humans dispute that. I'll, I'll come back to that in a minute. Uh, between human wickedness and divine grace, so he turns to urgent prayer. That's verse the last three verses. He's turning to urgent prayer. The disputed ground. Um, uh, Richard John Newhouse was a Lutheran minister who later became a Roman Catholic priest, uh, who was the chief editor of First Things, if you've ever read First Things. He wrote a book when he was a Lutheran minister called. Um, Uh, called Call the Ministry or something like that. But anyways, he makes a statement there that I've never forgotten, I thought was very, very helpful. He said, uh, we proclaim, our whole business is to proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord, a statement disputed by the whole world, but it is true nonetheless. And he says that several times in there, and that's very helpful. Nobody's going to agree with you. Right? The Lord is good. The Lord rules all things. Well, well, maybe I'm not. So it's a disputed ground. Right? But it's true nonetheless. I love... That's why I enjoyed Kidner's quote there. It's disputed ground, but it's it's true nonetheless. They dispute it. Not God. He knows. Right? So that's why I put that quote in there. Alright. So, uh, before we get to that next question or statement. So... um, Notice it says, oh, continue. Does anybody have a different translation there? Oh, continue your steadfast love to those who know you. Everybody still, is everybody using the ESV? Is that what it is? Okay, that's fine. So the Hebrew word there is not just like continue. It is continue, but it's continue as in extend, as in stretch out. Right? So this continuity that gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It's the same kind of language Paul uses in 2 Corinthians 4, that the grace of God may extend to more and more people uh, to increase thanksgiving for the glory of God. Right? It's that extension. Is, that's what he means by continuing. Continue. Spread it out. Sp- spill it out. You know, make it stretch out further. Continue. Extend your steadfast love, O oh Lord. So he's actually got kind of an evangelistic edge here, if you want to use that language. Yes? Right. Right, that's what Susan was bringing up when it says it ceases to ceases to be. Yeah. 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 There's a sense in which it's a prayer. Continue it towards me, but because this, yeah, for us, but it's but it's still the extending and stretching out. So the God who saves man and beast, right? So it's, he's got a, it's kind of an evangelistic edge to it. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it seems to me that verse 12 comes with verse 11, okay? People get a little swirly with verse 12. There the evildoers lie fallen. They are thrust down, unable to rise. But notice that is hard on the heels of verse 11 let not the foot of arrogance come upon me nor the hand of the wicked drive me away save me from what they're doing and if you save me it's right here at your salvation they crumble right and so the two go together um, and I think the best way to put it is that this is a good news for some verse 11 is bad news for others verse 12 I hope nobody ever forgets that I hope years after I'm gone everybody remembers that I remember this funny preacher one time he used to say this all the stinking time but that that's I think the connection with verse 11 and 12 and my friends, when we're praying for God to rescue uh like when we pray if we're praying for persecuted Christians in Syria and we pray for God to rescue them we have to realize that what we're praying for one of the things that may actually be a result of that prayer is that other people get slaughtered I mean, that's harsh language, but that's part of God's salvation is to slaughter the foes of His people. And we want them, verse 10, we would love to see God's steadfast love continue, extend to them, for them to turn around and no longer be His opponents. That would also be an answer to our prayer. Right? So, either one of those fits with the answer to verse 11. Answer the prayer verse 11. Pam. yep right to save god saving his people yeah yeah and so think about you pray you actually pray this prayer every sunday at least here at heritage lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil right lead us not into temptation To not be put in a situation where we're pressured by these people in verses 1 through 4 or whatever. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You're praying, verse 11 and 12, every Sunday. And every time you pray the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, guess what else you're praying? Don't let the devil's kingdom grow, right? And those who want to put up their kingdom in opposition to you, you're praying an imprecatory prayer. If anybody hates praying imprecatory prayers, then. Sorry, you do it every Sunday when you do the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come. Right? It's a big deal. So anyways, very good. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I the I yeah, interesting. Draw your kindness to those knowing you. Yep. Good. All right, so that's Psalm 36. Any um, as you think about Psalm 36, what can you walk out with as we get ready to go to worship? What can you take with you when you go home and you start this week? What is what's one thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. What else? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, very good. Oh, yes, yes, yeah, covers all that, yeah. Yeah, and what's interesting is like when you get to Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3, he talks about knowing the height, the depth, the width, and the breadth of the love of Christ. To know the love of Christ that you cannot know, which is really funny. But he says it that way in the prayer. But it still uses that expansive, like you have here in the psalm, that expansiveness that goes beyond our very limited capacity. Right? Very good. Alright. Well, I hope also... Yes, Ben. Ben. Yes. it's not In their minds, it's not best for them. Yes. Yeah. Verse 1 should be in the back of your head, especially when you're dealing with people who just seem like they are in a love affair with a train wreck. You know? And then it should be a warning for us. Lord, may I never, ever be like that where transgression speaks like the law to my heart. Right? Yes? You're talking about the wicked being an institution, organization, Oh, it could be. I mean, because that's where all what corporations are is just a body of individuals. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's see. We're gonna close. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're they're like their father of the devil, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it can become an organizational thing, right? Because organizations are, uh, corporations are made up of humans, right? So even our own country, the direction, we may not always like it, but the direction that we end up going is because as a body of people, that's where we're aiming, that's where we're headed. We may not like to hear that, but... You know, there's that corporate aspect. So we can blame Congress all day long. But then I always think, you know, Lord, in fact, you'll hear it in the prayer from the White House to State House to our house because they wouldn't be able to do that if we weren't letting them and didn't, didn't agree with them. I mean, just think about um, common issues today that it, you're surprised at how many people actually agree with things that are not godly. And you go, wait, and it's a, it's a lot of people. Okay. All right, I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is this, is I'm going to give, uh, I'm going to pray real quick, but I want to give you just a quick, quick, very brief report on Presbytery. We had Presbytery on Tuesday, won't last long, but uh, just a couple of things for those of you want to know, if, you, if you're done and you need to go hit the restroom after I pray, go right ahead, do whatever you need to do, but I'm going to do a short little four or five minute thing on Presbytery. So let's pray. We thank you, our Lord, our God, that your steadfast love, Lord, extends to the heavens. Your righteousness, your faithfulness to even the clouds, your righteousness, the mountains of God, your judgments, the great deep. And we rejoice that man and beast you save, O oh Lord. And so, Lord, today, as we get ready to leave here, as we get ready to enter into the assembly where we will hear your word and and feast on your goodness and draw near to your table and pour out our hearts in prayer. Lord, I pray that uh, that our we would feast on the abundance of your house and you would give us drink from the rivers of your delights that with us that 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 there would be the fountain of life that that your light would shine so brightly that we would see light that you would continue your steadfast love to us and and your righteousness to us well we ask all these things in jesus name amen so we had presbytery on tuesday we um uh, we went to uh, Grove, Oklahoma, to Shangri La. That's where we do it every, every May of every year. It's actually in our bylaws as a presbytery. Supposed to be a retreat. Uh, so we were supposed to be there two days, but the retreats have kind of dwindled to becoming golf tournaments. And I don't play golf, right? I'm sorry, John. I mean, the two times I played golf, I had to get saved all over again. It was terrible. And so, uh, but we got there for Presbytery at about 2 o'clock. Uh, Alan Way went with us. He's gone right now. He's down doing some family stuff in the Houston, Galveston area. Uh, we got there. It was, a, it was overall, I mean, just everything about it was a decent meeting. It began with worship, which I think is the most important thing we do when we get together is actually worship. And since I've become the moderator, one of the things we do is after that, we start the service, we actually, the, the Presbytery, we actually spend time Praying for each other, right? So, somebody will have a prayer request. I'll have somebody else do the prayer for them, and and it really has been beneficial. We haven't done that uh, here in this presbytery before in that way. Uh, there was really nothing big going on. You saw my news, my letter I put out some month uh, month or so ago about uh, the candidates committee and how we interviewed these guys. Well, all of them passed with flying colors because we did all that hard work with them, and they came through. So they were examined at the end and. Um, Um, which was really cool. It was cool to listen to them talk and and see how they performed and how they did there on the floor. But there were still, all the elders were around, well, half the elders. Most of them began to fade out by that point. But uh, they were there to examine them and ask questions as well. So that was really good. Probably the biggest thing, I think, that came out of the whole presbytery this time uh, was the fact that the Spiritual Formations Committee um, put a motion forward... To basically put together a study committee, that not a study committee, but a committee that would actually take this, the last uh, pres, uh, denominations report, the DASA report, which is domestic abuse and sexual assault, take that and summarize it, do the Cliff Notes version, and then present it in October to, um, to, the, to the Presbyterian, which I thought was very significant because uh, our church is the only one. Where all the elders and deacons sat down. I bound, I got printed these out and made bound copies. We're the, we're the only church in our presbytery where the elders and deacons have sat down and worked our way through the whole DASA report. And some of the others never even looked at it, those things. So this will be very helpful uh, to them. So, anyways, uh, I'm setting up the committee now as a moderator. And we're going to have three, three women advisors on there, or two women advisors. They can't, They don't vote, but they're just part of the advising side of it. And then there'll be ruling elders and teaching elders from various churches that are doing that. That's probably the most significant thing that happened at this presbytery. So that was pretty cool. It was was great to see the camaraderie and the fellowship. Um, It was good, lots of good uh, banter and discussion even outside of the formal meeting itself, which is always a big deal, okay? So you have any questions about presbytery? I'd love, anybody wants to ever go to Presbytery, let me know. You are, you're welcome to come. And it would be, it would be just a one-time thing maybe, and it would be amazing. You would, I think you would be amazed. Would you think so, Fred? Absolutely. Yeah. Any questions about Presbytery? All right, so General Assembly is the middle of June. I'll try to come up with a report for that. and probably take me a couple weeks to put that together, so it'll be sometime in I'm guessing July when I'll finally make that presentation for for General Assembly. So do be praying for General Assembly. This is our 50th anniversary as a denomination. It's going to be a pretty big blowout celebration. Um, And that will be the week of 13 to 16 June, right in the middle of June. It will be in Memphis, Tennessee. So please be praying for our our General Assembly. Okay? Thank you.